Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. All right, good to be back with you here inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. After a nice break over the weekend, had a chance to uh, get out and watch a little football. Hope you guys did too. Hope all is well. But uh, we're back and we're rolling 10 days before South Carolina kicks off against the University of Tennessee for the 2020 football season. Um, We always say that with our fingers crossed these days. (laughs) There are teams rescheduling games out there, none in the SEC so far. But uh, hopefully the Gamecocks will get this in. Um, and it will be a, a tremendous, tremendous type of uh, opener uh, in front of however many fans are there. I mean, I, I, I watched uh, a lot of football this weekend with the no fans. It didn't bother me as much as I thought it would. Um, really, when you watch it on television, you can't tell uh, if the fans are there or not. So some of these teams, they also have marching bands in the stands. Gamecocks will have a band and have um, a crowd there. It just won't be as big as it normally is. Uh, And so I think as a television product and as far as, you know, the play on the field goes, if you're watching from home, which a lot of folks do, um, you know, that's kind of the deal. So we'll see kind of uh, how that gets gets kicked off. But for the purposes of this podcast, um, we're going to stick with you. Probably some more bonus uh, podcasts coming your way here since we took – Took a little time off there, and uh, we'll have some more stuff right on through until uh, the Gamecocks get started here in 10 days against Tennessee. Uh, I want to thank everybody for the five-star reviews on iTunes, and uh, those are really coming in fast. Hoping to get to 1,000. We are approaching that number. I think by the end of the season, we will get there. And so everybody uh, everybody will uh, certainly have contributed to this podcast, continuing to climb the charts and all that breaking news this morning, the big 10 is playing football. Big surprise. (laughs) Um, I guess with the rapid testing and some new protocols they've announced, they're going to give it a go. Uh, They're going to start at the end of October, eight games, no bye week. Uh, It's kind of, um, kind of like middle school football. We all remember the middle school football days, Uh, played eight games back in middle school. (laughs) And I don't think we had a bye week. So um, that's the way that schedule is going to work out, and it'll be interesting to see. Uh, we'll have a new debate, but I, I think the debate will be – I'd rather debate that than debate, you know, medical science because obviously I'm not a medical scientist, and I think I've gotten my fill of reading that in the last couple of years – or last year, uh, nine months, however long it's been. Uh, you know, as far as that goes, I think that I'd rather debate whether or not a – eight and oh Ohio state team belongs or nine and oh belongs in the playoff over a nine and one nine and two team that played, you know, 10 sec games. Let's say Georgia went nine and one and lost the championship to Alabama and they're nine and two and, you know, Ohio state's nine and oh, I mean, I'd rather sit there and debate that, uh, than sit there and talk about, you know, championships with asterisks and all that good stuff. No idea what the PAC 12 is going to do. Uh, I think they're still, uh, looking a little foolish. Uh, I think that, you know, now that the big 10, which I think looked the most foolish because I actually understood 
you know, why the Pac-12 didn't play according to their transparency and their releases. Uh, you know, I think that when you kind of look at that situation, you know, now they're going to kind of look like the, the odd men out as far as canceling the season uh, and all that good stuff. And, and my, uh, I guess from what I can gather, you know, they're probably ready to roll from a testing standpoint and taking care of the student athletes and having a good plan. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's a deal where local ordinances and things like that are keeping them from even getting together to practice. Um, California, of course, I watched the Rams play the Cowboys this weekend and watched, I mean, I think the 49ers and Chargers are playing, you know, practicing and, and they're fine. Um, you know, and going right on up the coast of, to Washington and all that for the Seahawks. But, uh, you know, I, I think that when you look at it, from a um, an ordinance standpoint, you know there are you know waivers that can be gotten and and things of that nature, and, and I would guess those local governments would do it, maybe. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll worry about the Pac-12 later, but the Big Ten is playing, um, and glad to see it. Glad for the players and the coaches and the great fans they have there. We all think in the South that we have the best fans, and and we do. Um, but the Big Ten, you know, th- those are all large state-supported schools for the most part uh, with huge alumni bases, and they care about football. I mean, those of you that have traveled to all the bowl games in Florida over the years where Carolina's played a Big Ten team, um, Iowa, Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Nebraska, they all travel. They all travel pretty well. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's football. You know, they uh, – they, um, you know, they love their football in that part of the country. It's the entire northern fourth of our country is the Big Ten Conference. And so good to see them back playing ball <clears throat> just for the sake of their players and the people that have put an awful, awful lot of work in. And I'm, um, I'm happy about that, fired up about that. Closer to home, South Carolina scrimmaged again this past weekend, and then all of a sudden there's a lot of talk about the quarterback competition. Looks like it's going Colin Hill's way just like we've kind of said for a while. Uh, I'm not saying that we broke that news uh, or that we were ahead of the game because it's obviously been a battle. Um, It's obviously been something that, uh, and I'll tell you this, the reason I've been talking about Colin Hill is because I think it it would have, I wanted to kind of eliminate some of the shock factor with you guys because, you know, I think that, you know, you got a transfer coming in, COVID hit, there wasn't spring practice. All of a sudden, you're like, well, this guy that transferred in from Colorado State's going to get the job. And then, on, you know, if that had happened without any forewarning, uh, I think everybody's all of a sudden trashing Ryan Helensky, wondering what's wrong with him because, you know, everybody thought, well, it's, it's definitely going to be Helensky. And I understand that. So my, my point with Colin Hill was just to say, just keep an eye on it. You know, now, this is a battle and it still is. And, uh, you know, they haven't officially named a starter yet. I, I would expect they would do that this week, but maybe they won't. I mean, and, uh, you know, we mentioned COVID a lot. And, uh, the coaching staff at South Carolina has actually been pretty smart. Well, Muschamp's been really smart about this and saying this over and over and, and coaching like this within his program as they've been getting ready. Everybody, all hands on deck. Everybody's got to get ready because you don't really know week to week who may have to sit, you know, you get a positive test, you have, you know, you're down four, so you lose 12, you know, you, you, you may not have all your guys and that includes the quarterback position. So I, I actually think it's a, 
it's a luxury. And someone on the big spur pointed out today that, well, you know, if they play both, if you have two, then you don't really have one, that type of thing. And, and I agree with that premise most of the time. And I do think there's something to be said for a guy stepping up and being that clear, the clear leader at quarterback. Uh, I think it's better when you have one guy that's awesome that gets out there and, and does the, the job for you. It's the most important position on the field and teams gravitate around it. But I also think in this particular year, it's a luxury to have two or three guys that can go play just because you don't know. And you look at some other schools, you know, they, they don't really have a guy that started, you know, 11 games last year uh, as their backup. You know, they, they've got some unknowns. I, I mean, I look at Georgia – Dewan Mathis may end up winning that job because Daniels isn't quite ready and Newman left. Uh, and then after those guys, you got true freshmen and walk-ons. Uh, now, Carson Beck is a good true freshman, don't get me wrong, but, you know, you, you, you look at it and you're like, well, you know, South Carolina, if something happened, if Hill starts and something happens to him, you know, you've got a guy that you trust with the offense back there that's, you know, extremely talented. And the same would be true if Holinsky had won the job. You got a guy that's really familiar with the offense in Colin Hill that's talented enough to go play. Um, and that's what I've kind of heard about Colin Hill from the start. And I've said this over and over here. It, it's not just that he knows the offense better. It's that he's a talented player. I mean, if, if you know the offense better, but you're not going to, you know, break a plane of glass, a pane of glass with your arm or, or a, you know, I don't know if glass, because there's really strong glass sometimes, but whatever the analogy is, if you can't throw it um, or you're one hopping it out there and all that, your intent and your knowledge of the game in terms of where to deliver the ball means nothing because you can't get it there physically. So you, you have to have the physical ability uh, to go play college football at this level at the quarterback position. And Colin Hill has that. And that's been emphasized to me over and over that the kid's good. He's a good player. Um, and so, uh, you know, we'll see kind of what happens there with that in terms of an official announcement, but it does look like edge to Colin Hill right now. Um, and I, I don't know that they're going to keep the battle going on because they got to get ready for Tennessee. I mean, it's game prep time. Yesterday was the last day of camp. So they got to kind of whittle it down as much as they can uh, to start install for the volunteers you know, how to stop them and all that good stuff. I can tell you, uh, I've got an article coming out on thebigspur.com later this week. I've been talking. I did do some work over the weekend, talking to a lot of different coaches at a lot of different schools, including South Carolina, about the evolution of, of modern offense in the college level. Because, you know, watching a lot of NFL, watching a lot of college this weekend, things have changed offensively. It's it's a little bit different deal than maybe it was five six years ago where you just line up and go fast and then that's that. Um, you know, it's a little bit more nuanced these days when you look at it, especially at the NFL level. Um, and, and then you kind of look back at some of the college teams that kind of going real fast all the time. And I'll use this as an example, and this will be part of the article, you know, watching the Chiefs on Thursday night versus watching Miami, the Hurricanes, college and pro, you know, Miami's, sitting there trying to go a million miles an hour going up and down the field. Well, they have a quarterback. Uh, that's what, what was told to me. Well, he's an eraser. You know, he's a guy that um, can, uh, 
make bad plays good, dear King for Miami. And he was really lights out, I thought, in that football game. As far as the offense goes, you don't have him. You may be in trouble. <laughs> and you're trying, you're still trying to force tempo, going a million miles an hour and all that. And I, and I think back also some of the Gamecock games where they did struggle on offense, and you think about it, and, you know, they would have, they would have been better served at times to not go as fast. And, and so that's a tempo thing, not necessarily a scheme thing. Um, and you have the ability sometimes to go fast, but I think, I think the game's becoming a little more nuanced, which I think means that it's a, it's another positive that Mike Bobo is the offensive coordinator. Cause he's a guy that's, you know, all of the above, you know, he, he's a guy that can, you think about at Georgia, some of the things he did with Aaron Murray and that group versus, some of the other other quarterbacks he had, you know, the Hudson Mason year was outstanding. They went up and down the field, Colorado State. You know, he just kind of adjusts to who he's got. This is the type of year where, you know, South Carolina, you really don't know who you've got. And so, you know, he goes out there and, you know, kind of tailor-mades it uh, to who he has. And so I, I think uh, I think the Gamecocks now more than ever after talking to people, like I said, around college football, not just uh, inside the Gamecocks program, that Carolina's in, in, in lot, very good hands offensively. Um, and I think that's a, that's a super positive. So look for that coming up uh, on thebigspur.com. Uh, you know, I know the other position people are wondering about running back. Um, it was explained to me over the weekend that, that Probably, you know, they need Zaquandre White to step to, you know, to number one, get healthy. Um, number two, you know, step back up uh, and, and really be that difference maker at that position. Not that the other guys aren't. Uh, Fenwick and Harris both have worked their butts off. Um, they think Amos has a lot of promise, but it's probably going to be by committee uh, for the time being. And, you know, that's fine. Lots of schools have that. Lots of schools have a running back by committee thing. I think when you look at the run game this year, there's two positives right off the bat. The first positive is it's going to be a different run game. <laughs> and I know everybody kind of got sick of, uh, of of looking at it and going, well, if the pin and pull's working, they're going to run the ball pretty well. If it's not, they're not. Um you know, and then, and then the inside zone, which has been kind of the base play for a while. Well, they've got a lot of other plays now that, that they can do out of the run game, various formations. I think that's going to help. Uh, and then number two is the offensive line. I think that there were moments last year, and even though I, I know there's some competition there now at the tackle spot and, and all that, and you know, that makes people a little nervous. But uh, I think you look at the offensive line, there were moments last year, even though you had to deal with some injuries and some inexperience during a transition year where South Carolina's offensive line looked pretty good. Alabama game, I thought they looked good. I thought, you know, in the Georgia game, the stats weren't super duper, but Rico Dowdle scraped out 79 rushing yards. I thought that was against that bunch. I'll take it. And the Gamecocks won the game. thought they ran it really well against Florida. Uh, Florida had some D linemen out, but I thought the game, you know, obviously losing Dowdle the first play of the Florida game. And then, you know, Feaster runs crazy and Mon Denson gets in there and goes. And, you know, the games they won, they ran it. You know, Kentucky Vandy included. The games they lost, they, they couldn't go very far. Uh, <laughs> uh, App State, you know, comes to mind. AM, of course, Clemson was a disaster in that department as well. So, 
Uh, I, I think that, you know, running back by committee is not a bad thing. It'd be great to have Marshawn Lloyd. We all know that. I think that's a fact. Um, but, you know, he's not there. So, so you got to have next man up and got to see who's going. I, I do think on the subject of Kevin Harris, because, you know, so many people have talked about Fenwick and, you know, Fenwick's going to, you know, Fenwick could be the guy, he's the next guy up, whatever. Well, we, we've gotten some different intel lately that, you know, Kevin Harris has actually been the guy, the most consistent. He's a different type of back. He's sort of intriguing. Um, he's had a really good fall camp. And what was told to me back during the spring uh, with him was that, you know, you know, probably Lloyd, you know, is going to be the guy, but then, you know, Kevin Harris is that next guy. So, you know, I, I think he's intriguing. He's a big physical bowling ball style of guy can get downhill real fast. Uh, you know, obviously health has been an issue, but he's healthy. And so hopefully they he stays healthy uh, and he can end up uh, being the guy and then Fenwick. And, and that, that's two big backs that can do some things. Uh, and then they got to get Zaquandre White ready to roll, you know, physically and all that. And you'll see kind of, you know, how that happens. So the run game is going to be interesting, I think. Uh, and uh, obviously we had a quarterback battle that appears to be coming to the to an end but um, you know we'll 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 get we'll wait for the ultimate uh, announcement on that but uh, I'm a you know if I were a betting man on this I would certainly bet Colin Hill uh, to do that you know inside the game Cox podcast uh, JC Sherbert here with you mailbag questions. And they've been coming in pretty, pretty good. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com uh, is the uh, is the email uh, address. And then you can tweet at me. Pretty Ricky tweeted at me. You okay, bro? <laughs> yeah, I was just uh, out of town there for a little bit and traveling. So uh, all that. But, yeah, I'm definitely okay and ready to roll. And uh, like I said, you're going to get some bonus pods to make up for it. Uh, I wanted to kind of take some time off observe over the weekend sometimes it's good to do that observe football and really get right for this season you know because it's uh when you analyze things like that sometimes it's good to sit back and watch quit running your mouth and writing and so that's what I did um and I'm great but we definitely do have a a podcast episode today and we will have one for a while so that email address inside the gamecocks at gmail.com uh we have a mailbag uh, and uh, we have some questions that we're going to get to. Uh, Mark emails in. He said, if you had one choice to build your college football around a particular position, quarterback, running back, or an ideal or structure or a particular style of coach, what would you choose? Um, and then he's got another question here. So I, I, I'd always start at quarterback. I think that I think that you – you need a great player at that position, or at least a player that, that can hold everything together. Um, and those quarterbacks that can hold everything together and sort of lead your team above and beyond are usually great. Does that make sense? Um, so you need a great player at that position. Um, you know, you're not necessarily guaranteed to win if you have a great quarterback, uh, but you are guaranteed to struggle to win championships if you do not. You're going to really have to scratch it out play great defense, uh, run it. I mean, you know, really have to scratch it out if you, you don't have a great player quarterback. So I always would start at, at quarterback. Um, Structure-wise, uh, 
a particular style of coach. I, I think nowadays you need a guy that can, you know, handle all facets of the game, uh, but who also puts a premium on being a special preparation on game day. And, and a lot of it depends on where you're at. And, and you say that you're like, well, the teams that recruit the best can do whatever they want. Not necessarily. I mean, Alabama really, in case we haven't noticed, they've evolved on offense. Now, I talked earlier about no huddle and things like that going fast. And and Bama does go fast, but it wasn't just going fast. They had a lethal RPO game with those receivers. And they could have run that whatever tempo they wanted to. Obviously, that's a lot more creative than sort of the ground and pound style that they had previously. Um, I do think Nick Saban wants a little more power running, so I expect them to kind of blend those two things at Alabama this year. Uh, if you also notice Clemson, uh, you know, they went and got Chad Morris, and that really changed their program, and they still run similar style of offense, but Tony Elliott's taking it in another different direction. I mean, they have the ability to gear down and really just pound you into submission and and, and make it impossible to come back. I mean, they're Clemson's one of the toughest teams in the country to come back on. Because if they get a big enough lead, sometimes Dabo will just gear it down and they'll just run the ball and run the clock out. They did that this past weekend to a certain extent. Um, now that score wasn't 51 to three, it was 37, 13, but you know, but Wake Forest had no chance, you know? Um, so they sort of smother you these days, but, but it's still a creative system and it's still hard to stop. And Brent Venables of course does a great job on defense with, kind of his different style of, 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 of D every year, you know, he, he can mix it and match it with the best. Um, so I think you need, I think you need a coach that if he's not a play caller on one side of the ball or the other, or an expert on one side of the ball, or the other, that he puts an emphasis on getting those types of guys. Um, and, you know, while at the same time having the structure and recruiting an organization, like, like Mac Brown to me, you know, Mac Brown's never been, I think he was a coordinator one year at Oklahoma in his whole years, he's not ever been really a coordinator. Uh, but what he's doing at North Carolina makes a lot of sense. You know, he's got a lot of good recruiters. Um, they have a, they have a system on both sides of the ball. Uh, two of the, you know, I, I, Ricky Longo to me is a tough sell in the SEC because at Ole Miss, you know, his system wasn't, you know, that effective as far as a, something that could overcome against really good defenses. Um, but I think in the ACC, he's tremendous. Uh, and then I think Jay Bateman's probably one of the best defensive coaches in all of football. Um, you know, you, I watched them this past weekend. Syracuse played its butt off. Uh, and then eventually North Carolina's defense just warmed down. Uh, they kind of survived some inside, deep inside their territories. Thanks, Syracuse had a touchdown call back. You know, Jay Bateman's defense was really, really good against a tough offense to stop. And then eventually North Carolina's offense opened it up and pulled away. So I think kind of what North Carolina's done with Mac Brown uh, is, is, you know, that style of coach, um, you know, so uh, th that's kind of what I would choose if I were starting a program and, and had a choice to build it, you know, I, I would choose a guy that's, uh, you know, I, not necessarily again, I'm not necessarily against the guy that's, you know, the offensive genius or, whatever, um, uh, or the defensive genius. Uh, but he has to have a, an idea about the rest of it, 
you know, in terms of, of making good hires and structuring it, recruiting and, and all that good stuff and enthusiasm, you know, and I think that, you know, if you talk about South Carolina, I think Will Muschamp, you know, has done a good job in all of those areas, uh, especially now that he's hired Mike Bobo as his offensive coordinator and, you know, away they go. Now, that being said, in all fairness, I, I, I saw an opportunity for BMAC to work out and based on what I was told and what I kind of saw X's and O's wise behind the scene, I thought Roper could work out, but that obviously didn't. So time will tell on the offense, but um, you know, I think Will Muschamp checks a lot of boxes as far as that goes. They just, it's, it's a bottom line business though, winning and losses. And he also said, if you were a nothing burger and you were starving, would you eat yourself? I know I would. I'd cover myself in brown mustard and relish and it'd be delicious. Hey, Hey, if you're a nothing burger and you're starving, would you eat yourself? Well, I know I would. Hey, that's awesome. Thank you, Mark, for the Harry Carey. I needed that today. Keith emails in, what do you think is the best football movie? I say the program. I like the program. Obviously, it was filmed at Williams Bryce and in Columbia at South Carolina, and so it'll always – Obviously, have a special place in my heart for that reason. But I like uh, I like any given Sunday, and uh, I like Necessary Roughness better. I thought Necessary Roughness with with Robert Loggia as defensive coordinator, Wally Riggendorf, uh, Scott Bakula as a quarterback, and you know, obviously an outstanding place kicker in that movie. I think Kathy Ireland was the place kicker. Uh, I thought that was best. But, and, of course, that was more of a comedy than the program. The program was not. But, uh, you know, and I, I could also make a case for Friday Night Lights or Varsity Blues. I mean, that, those two were great high school football movies. But uh, if you ask me, Necessary Roughness would be my favorite one, followed by Any Given Sunday. The, the program's up there, though. So that's uh, that's the thing. We could do a whole show on football movies one time, and I think I will. Um, one of those off-season things, you know, next July or something, I'll be sure to, to bust that out. But thank you for your email, Keith. Noah emails in. He says, JC, really enjoying the podcast. It's been a slice of normalcy during these difficult times. Thank you for saying that. Uh, keep up the fantastic work. Um, my question is, who in the Gamecock running back room do you believe will step up this season, if anyone? The running back has been running game has been disappointing the last two few seasons, partly due to injury. But it seems like the Gamecocks haven't had a consistent run game since the days of Marcus Lattimore and Mike Davis. Could Deshaun Fenwick, Zaquandre White, or anyone else this roster break that trend this season? I mean, I agree. I, you go back to 14, and Mike Davis and Brandon Wilds were there. Um, and then in 2015, after they sort of – after Spurrier left and Mangus took over the offense, they were able to eke out a run game with Brandon Wilds, a little bit of Sean Carson or David Williams, and then running Perry Orth or Lorenzo Nunez, as it was at times. They were able to scratch it out. But since then, I mean, this, the, the Muschamp era has been tough, and a lot of it has been, you're right, due to injury. I mean, you really had something going with Dowdle, Dowdle gets hurt in 2017, got hurt again in 2018. Tyson Williams finally gets it going at the end of 2018. He's hurt. He transfers. Um, 
you know, Fenwick came in and he has to had to work on some things like pad level. He's had a bright spot here or there. Tavian Feaster got hurt last year down the stretch and wasn't a hundred percent. You know, AJ Turner, whatever happened to him, you know, there's just been a lot of in that room, a lot of things that don't really have anything to do with lining up and playing the game that didn't work. And on top of that, you know, I think the game packs had a very predictable run game from a play calling standpoint. So the play calling is going to help uh, a, a more improved offensive line, you know, that's got more experience. It's going to help. Um, I think, uh, you know, Kevin Harris, he's going to get the first crack at it. We'll see what happens in Tennessee against Tennessee in a couple of weeks. Uh, here, Deshaun Fenwick. I, I think those two guys are capable as long as they – you know, open holes, know where they're going, all that good stuff. Uh, but the guy that keeps getting mentioned to me is White as far as the guy. They need him healthy. He's battled some injuries. They need him ready to roll because they think he can be the difference maker back there uh, while, you know, Marshawn Lloyd sits. And they, they really like Rashad Amos, too. He's just he's just younger as a true freshman. Um, but what I was told in no uncertain terms by contact over the weekend, it's going to take all of them. And so we'll see what happens. But I absolutely agree with you, Noah, that the, the, the run game has to get better. I mean, that's just – we can talk about quarterbacks all we want. We can talk about receivers all we want. If they can't run the ball, it's going to be really tough. Uh, and that's the key for any offense in this league or any offense in college football that wants to play at a high level. You have to be able to scratch out a run game. Uh, and the Gamecocks obviously haven't been able to do that since – uh, I, and I'll, I'll get—I would say 2014 because 2015 was such a bad year. Uh, I do think they were able to scratch it out a bit, but that's just—that's just not. And, and, you know, having a good run game too, like that, it impacts your defense because if you're having to line up and throw it every down um, because you have to, you should be able to throw it when you want to. That's the luxury in football when you can throw the ball when you want to, and you don't have to. <laughs> um, That—that's that, a big deal. So, you know, if, if you have to line up and throw it every now and you get three and outs, your defense gets gassed. And that's how, you know, to, to do a, uh, a flip quote on the movie Rocky Balboa when he goes, that's how winning is done. That's how losing is done. When your offense keeps going three and out and you can't run it and you have to throw it and your defense gets gassed. That's how losing is done. Um, so, uh, you know, so that's, that's the thing there. I think that's uh, – that's what you got to look at. But, you know, I, how good can Fenwick and Harris be? I, I think, you know, I think they could be serviceable. I, all I know is they've worked exceptionally hard and, and, you know, they're confident players heading into the season. What's going to happen when they strap it up against the big orange and, uh, you know, it, it starts getting real? You know, I don't know. I don't know because these guys haven't played a whole lot. You know, it seems like Fenwick – would be pretty confident because during games where he's gotten, you know, 10 plus carries or whatever, he's rushed for over hundred yards. Um, Kevin Harris had a big game against Charleston Southern, though I'll continue to maintain Charleston Southern was one of the worst teams Carolina's ever played. <laughs> uh, and that's no offense to them. It was just a bad week. You know, they're not very good to begin with. And then they had to practice in Charlotte or stay in Charlotte and drive to Columbia for practice every day. And cause there was the hurricane or whatever. So that was, that game was set up to be a disaster for them. But, you know, so the, what, the six carries for 147 yards and two touchdowns, that doesn't mean a whole lot in terms of, uh, 
uh, Kevin Harris right now. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I think yet again, uh, the unfortunate thing about this is yet again, this room is dealing with injury. You're dealing with Marshawn Lloyd out for the year. White has had nagging injuries. Those are the guys you're kind of counting on. You know, that's why you go and recruit those guys. Uh, so they can come in and help you right away, especially a junior college running back. So we'll see what happens there. I think um, I, I think the positive thing is the things other than the running backs, like the offensive line and the play calling, will help. Uh, I think having a lead blocker will certainly help too. Uh, that's uh, Adam Prentice, the fullback, is going to be every running back's best friend. And I also think there's some things they can do to manufacture some run game as well. Uh, I'm thinking of jet sweeps, things like that. Uh, you know, you got to carry and Joiner in the slot. You can move Shy Smith around. You know, Joiner's a guy you can see getting a handoff from scrimmage or two um, to keep defenses honest. So we'll see how that works out. Great question, though, Noah, and I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast and it provides some sense of normalcy. I think that's positive. And that means more than anything. All right. So James, he emails in. And he goes, JC, first off, thanks for the great podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to it, especially with all that's going on in the world right now. Thank you. Keep those, keep those coming. <laughs> that, means, that means a lot. That means so much right now. I was listening to Josh Pate. Thank you for listening to Josh. He's one of the best in the country. Probably, you know, ranks way up there with me. The question near the end of his video caught my attention. Is this the first time Muschamp has got an offensive coordinator in the house they fully trust handing the keys over to? What are your thoughts? I think this is a two-part question. This is kind of a – there's two ways to, to look at this. and One has to do with kind of urban legend a little bit, and one has to do with reality. Okay, so Will Muschamp, South Carolina, Florida, wherever he's been, he has never interfered on the offensive side of the ball. You know, he's never sat there and, you know, tried to call plays or overridden. I mean, there are coaches that have done that, believe me, including some very successful ones. and. and you know, it hasn't gone well, but he hasn't done that, you know, and, and I know that because I know enough people around the program to know who would probably tell me if that was the case, <laughs> you know, people that have been there or whatever, you know, that kind of information just doesn't stay quiet. You know, if you got, got a head coach that's sitting there putting restraints on the offense. And I think if you look at some of the, the games, you know, like and and he did the halftime interview against Kentucky last year, where he said we need to get in twenty two personnel and run it. So you could say he he probably explained to Brian McClendon that they needed to do that right away, and, and it ended up in a touchdown. But but he's not over there doing that. He he was kind of, you know, that was a halftime interview, and, and he said that mostly in jest. But they did run that play and scored a touchdown right away against the Wildcats last year. But but think back to like the the uh, Florida game they lost in 2018, you know, I would think that if the, you know, he were a coach going conservative that uh, when South Carolina got up 17, you know, and, and Florida looked like they were, had some life and coming back, you'd probably run the ball and start melting the clock. Um, and, and the reason is Florida wasn't going anywhere in the air that day. They had Felipe Franks. He was, you know, I think they threw it once while they were coming back. They just lined it up and ran it at Carolina. And so if you're the game coach, you, you probably sit there and put some blockers in and, you know, you've been running it pretty well with, with Denson and, and Turner anyway with certain things. And you just line up and go straight run game and melt it. 
and Florida eventually would probably have run out the clock on itself. Um, well, they didn't do that. They, they stayed aggressive, kept running the RPOs, Florida adjusted, the rest is history. So I would think that if, you know, the head coach was meddling, that we may have seen a different outcome and it actually would have been better. And, and that's, that's the thing I've gotten is that he probably hasn't meddled enough during his career. You know, probably hadn't, you know, Florida probably didn't pay attention enough attention to what was going on in the other room. In fact, you know, that was a, I would be, I think he realizes that, you know, at Florida, Carolina, you know, he, he's made the, the calls to, you know, make the changes. You know, he hadn't, hadn't, you know, he wasn't going to sit around and just let the McClendon experiment continue. And he certainly wasn't going to let the Kurt Roper thing continue. Um, does he probably wish he'd hired Eli Drinkwitz instead of Brian McClendon? Yes, I think so. Uh, does he probably wish he would have hired Mike Bobo uh, when he could? Yes. Um, you know, so I, 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 I think that that's, that's the thing that, that's kind of unfair about him because I think people, you know, when the offense kind of looks like a, you know, they're in a rock-throwing contest and they're not going anywhere, people kind of think, oh, he's gotten conservative, blah, 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 blah. So that said, what you said, is this the first time Muschamp has an offensive coordinator in the house that he fully trusts? Yes, absolutely. But just because he was like a little untrusting of it doesn't mean he was meddling. I guarantee you he wasn't. In fact, last year, I think some things would have been a lot better had he meddled. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it, just, it just wasn't that way. Um, so, but, but is Mike Bobo a guy that he fully trusts and, and probably more so than everybody from Charlie Weiss to Brent Pease to Kurt Roper to Brian McClendon? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and, and they've known each other for years. I, I think Bobo's had excellent offenses. He's done it in the SEC, uh, knows what he's doing. And so, yeah, it's the first time I think he's had a guy that he does fully trust. And that's, um, that's a positive thing for, Carolina's prospects this year. All right. So, uh, guys, check me out today uh, on JB and Goldwater, about 1230 Eastern. Uh, you can get that streaming live on Twitter. Uh, it streams live on YouTube every day. It's a great segment. We always talk about that. Also, this afternoon, we'll have a JC and Morgan college football podcast with myself and Mike Morgan. More good talk about the Big Ten. Obviously, Mike and I will have a lot to say about that. Go subscribe to that podcast on iTunes uh, or, excuse me, Apple Pods, uh, and you can get it there. Also, be sure to keep rating this one five stars and leaving those reviews. I really appreciate those, and those help us tremendously. Again, we're back in full go until probably the – probably won't have a show game day, the 26th of September, but probably we'll have one leading up to that. I may skip Sunday. I may not. I don't know. I think that, you know, 10 days in, we got we to gotta rock and roll here. And uh, certainly know you guys enjoy listening uh, to the show and uh, all the other shows out there and also being a part of the bigspur.com. All right. This is JC Sherbert. This has been Inside the Gamecocks Podcast. Holla at you guys tomorrow.